Welcome, welcome, welcome to A Little Impolite. I'm your host, Devo, and joining me today is our special guest. Everyone's a special guest, but you're extra special. (laughs) Brittany Richmond, she is an anxiety expert, and you're a paid speaker, and because your wheelhouse is anxiety and depression, I thought we'd center the conversation around some of the things that you're doing, but a new format that I'm playing with, and you're the guinea pig for it, so test out well. I saw funny. I saw funny. Sorry, I'm getting off topic. I watched a funny comedian yesterday. His name was Wang Shang. If you've never heard of him, no, he's absolutely hysterical. He's deadpan comedy. If you like that sort of comedy on yeah, Netflix, I do. And, and he he was doing a piece on science and how they only use rats to test things, and then suddenly they introduce it to market. Anyway, so you're my test rat today. So Perfect. we'll see how it goes. Love it. Love the comparison. So, <laughs> So the whole point of the show, Brittany, is to get to know CEOs, business leaders, entrepreneurs, people like yourself who are doing some brilliant things on the planet. And like most of my guests, I found you on social media. Um, you were you were doing some really heartfelt, um, I think you were crying, you're a good crier, um, on Instagram. <laughs> What's that? It's an ugly crier. Come on now. <laughs> well, is anybody a pretty crier? There are a few people. <laughs> Well, I'm not one of them. I, okay. I've had my, <laughs> I've had my moments of tears, and uh, sometimes I go in the mirror and I'm like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> what's going on? Oh there? my God, yes, yes, that reminds me. I'm, I'm way off topic now too, but the comedian, what's his face? Oh my God, he's so funny. A lot of movies. Ah, it's bothering me because this bit about like how you just like cry at yourself in the mirror and just like you're just like ugly crying and it just makes it worse and then you get more upset. That that's that's me. <laughs> mm. Well, I have a, a therapist friend of mine who tells me that at any point I feel tears coming on to induce them as much as I can because it's it's a cathartic release. There's like sort of Cry there's therapy. like parasympathetic things going on and neurological things going on. Like get that shit out, she says. Yes. So yes. Um. Anyhow, did your mic change? Um, I don't believe so. Okay, so you're gonna have to go really close to the mic. I will be you... super close. <laughs> That's why I go with the headset. Really close to the camera right now. So. <laughs> that, that's where I went with the helicopter weather on the nines headset because I hated always like having to lean forward into the mic and I was like basically giving it oral the entire show and I'm like, I'm done with it. I got to get it out of the headset. You know, I have one of those arms that like comes out, but I don't have it hooked up anywhere. So it's I give that the thumbs down. I got I've I've got that sitting over there in the other my other office over there. That's why I like the headset. It's just cool. It's groovy. I need to be cool like you. Um, so let's just jump into the show. Let's talk about, in 60 seconds or less, exactly what you do. Well, I am a former mental health professional turned public speaker. So I travel and speak to high school and college students on becoming an overcomer is what I call it. And I specialize in offensive tactics to overcome anxiety. And how exactly did you get into a position like that? Like, it's not every day you just meet somebody who shows up and you're doing high school, you're doing college, you do middle school. Is there a a specific focus that you have or all of the above? Uh, More specifically, high school students. More. That's a tough crowd, no? Oh, yes. Very tough. tough. I, I mean, you just put yourself right into the fire. I do. I do. And ironically, it doesn't cause me anxiety. I thrive. So. Well, I noticed that just uh, uh, sidebar, I noticed that book over your uh, right shoulder, Atomic Habits, which I just ordered. So um, there's a piece in there I was told on anxiety. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's one of the things I, I speak on is establishing routines and habits, which is one mm -hmm. reason why I bought James's book because mm -hmm. he focuses a lot on that and how it can alleviate, you know, mental stress, which is mm -hmm. absolutely true. Anybody with a routine understands the purpose of that. So if you could encapsulate in a few words, what sort of impact do you think that you make every single day when you're on site during these workshops and these lectures? What do you call them? Lectures? Is that what you call them? Lectures? Uh, assembly, Presentations? Assemblies. I mean, that's really, or if it's at a conference, it's a keynote. But mm -hmm. essentially, especially with the feedback from the teachers and administrators, as well as the students, it's always the same. It's, oh my gosh, me too. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize. I struggle with that also. I'm not alone. You know, that feeling of, wow, I can't believe somebody else actually understands how I feel. Mm -hmm. It's funny because one of those, it, it seems to be one of those tacit feelings and emotions that every human has. But for whatever reason, it's almost an embarrassment when people admit they have it because that means there's something wrong with you. What's your sure. take on that? Well, First of all, anxiety in and of itself is absolutely normal and necessary to function as a human being. You know, it's our fight or flight response when it comes down to the basic evolutionary tactics of it. And but for some people, when it becomes something that lasts too long or interferes with your ability to function on a day to day basis, then it, it potentially becomes an issue which, and that's where a lot of people find the stress and that personally I struggle with too, is not really understanding why certain things are so much harder for me than they are for other people. So there's a lot of comparison that comes with that, you know, guilt, self-judgment, all of those, those emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have to take a time out in the middle of the show in a minute, because I keep hearing this is the drawbacks of doing studio in, in your home as my dog and my cat seem to be fighting over there in the other room. I love them so, though. So if you hear some crazy screaming going on, that's my it's fine. Dog. I have cats too. She might even make an appearance. So it's fine. These, these, yeah, but we're live right now. So I hate to do that. But these two have the funniest relationship. They are like buddies one day and then they have like brutal all out warfare on the next. So it's, it's insane. Um, anyhow, um, back, back to sort of your career where you are. So um, you, you're not relatively that old of a woman. How did you get into this space to kind of go where you are? Did you, did you, did you study this in college or is this sort of a business that you started on your own? Or how did you fall into this space of where you are right now? Well, I'm 36. So I like to think I'm like, right, you know, smack dab of not a kid anymore, like right there, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I struggled with my own mental health. Therefore I went into the field of psychology um, I have my master's degree in behavioral psychology. I was a school counselor for many years and then I transitioned into speaking. It was just a natural transition. Um, a lot of the reasons I transitioned was because that one-on-one -on -one work with students, um, I took home a lot of those emotions, you know, and it was really, really hard on me. So, but I didn't want to stop helping people, but I knew that there was a way to help more of them at one time rather than just one-on-one. -on -one. And my own observations, my own personal experiences, you know, led into the tools that I equip them with now, you know, like I said, that those offensive tactics to overcoming anxiety. So offensive tactics, can we break that down a little bit more? So what you mean by that is being proactive about it, acknowledging right. it, understanding what it is, and then putting some sort of strategy or habit into place to address it. That's what you mean by offensive tactics. 
Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, and is the, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the term. Is that a sort of formal psycholo- psychology term? No, it's just no. something you've come up with. Sports tactics, sports reference, you know, defense versus offense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I just call it offensive tactics versus saying, you know, proactive versus reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just rolls off my tongue easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. um, doing the work that you do, especially when you were a counselor, and you, you talked to us just a second ago about bringing that home with you. I always wonder because I've I've been to therapists before, and uh, and I I know some really close friends who are therapists, and each of them has sort of a different take on it. But taking that information home that you're exposed to all day long, most of it not typically very happy. How do you absorb all of that and process that and maintain your own sanity? Because I'm assuming the type of person that you are, and I've had some conversations with you, right? You're tell you're you're relatively empathic in terms that you take on other people's emotion emotions. You're intuitive, so you sort of absorb that energy. How do you mm-hmm. keep yourself sane from not just going like psycho on this? Well, for one, I stepped away from it, right? You know, that one-on-one work, I had to, I had to set that boundary and I had my own counselors, you know, you know, counselors have counselors for that reason. Exactly. I mean, even the strongest, you know, therapists out there that can really put up those walls and boundaries. I mean, we're all human beings, right? We, we go home and we think, and we wonder, but when it becomes obsessive and you want to be able to do more, And you can't because, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, holding you back with that as a counselor. It's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. I mean, even today, the one-on-one conversations I have with students that reach out to me or post events, like it's still hard. You know, I, I really, it's because you care so hard, you know, and you want to, you know, want to save and you want to help and you want to hold them and you know, you just have to believe that what you're doing is good work and you see it in them when they approach you. So in, in the programs that you offer, are these just one-off presentations, one-off assemblies, or do you have follow-up work? So you, you give a keynote, if you will, and then are there follow-up workshops where you can get individualized or is, is there, is, is that not how that works? Yeah. Um, some teen conferences, I actually propose that, you know, if they want to hire me as a keynote, I also want to, you know, offer the breakout sessions because keynotes are meant to inspire and educate and, you know, workshops and breakout sessions are meant to change a behavior. That is the purpose of them. So when you're able to deliver a keynote and give everyone the high level view and the inspirational view, then you can dive further into those steps in the breakout. Like actually, how do we set a routine? How do we go about talking to somebody? How do we stay consistent? You know, really kind of putting those tools into action so they can leave with, I can start implementing this today. Mm -hmm. And and are you local only or do you do travel and go to different states? Travel, different states. I've done states all over the country. Um, Traveling to Florida, New Hampshire soon, um, North Carolina. There's a couple of different ones. Local, there's just a lot of the Midwest tends to host a lot of large student organizations in general, like FFA and student council and things like that. So they do a lot of their national conferences locally anyway. And by local, I mean like in a tri or quad state area. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, a lot of it just seems local, I think. Why is that? Because you Midwest people are just more depressed than normal? Uh, <laughs> I think that these are just areas where we can fit large amounts of people. I mean, each state has their own like FFA conference, but like student council, national organizations held in Texas, usually all the same. <laughs> all I, the I'm same. Just, I'm just joking. And where, where are you? Nebraska? Is that right? Nebraska? Where are you? Uh, Chicago. I'm in Illinois. Chicago. Why did I think you were in Nebraska? 
Hmm. I've spent some time out in the Midwest. It's a lovely place. I need to be closer to the water, so at least driving access to it. I need so, to be not around human beings, so the Midwest is perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing because you're in a business where you're helping human beings, but yet you sort of love having the privacy of, of getting away from everybody. How, what, how does that balance work? Well, it comes down to self-awareness, right? I mean, I'm an what they call a pseudo extrovert, which means I can be extroverted when necessary, but I don't fill my cup that way. So mm. it's really important to me to take care of myself and what my needs are to help as many people as I can. And one of those things is, you know, really isolation is not the word, but I fill my cup by doing things necessary for me by myself. Mm -hmm. I think somebody told me the other day that I was an ambivert and I had not heard that term before. And you just used something else. What was the term you used? Pseudo extrovert. Pseudo. So ambivert. And I looked it up. It means that you're, you're comfortable in both roles as an introvert and an extrovert, but um, you still need that. I'm, I'm an ambivert because I'm, I'm cool talking to people. I do workshops. I do education. Um, in fact, I have a, a big one coming up in November, but when I, after I do that and I spend a day amongst a lot of people or even like going to a concert, I'm like, dude, I need 24 hours of complete right. reset. Exactly. Because I'm like you, I take on other people's energy. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the people that you're speaking with. So some of the characteristics of anxiety and, and some of the characteristics characteristics of depression. So you, you go into a school and you already have a predetermined lecture planned out the school you, you book through the district or you book through the school. It, it depends. It, it depends on the district or the school. It, it, it varies. Got it. So you're showing up at these schools, you're putting together these lectures and these workshops when you're in the midst of the, the people that are attending them, are they, how are they identified? Is it just a giant nucleus of, of teenagers that come into the gym because they need to get out of class and then they're surprised pleasantly at the amazing workshop you delivered or are these people that have been targeted for anxiety and they're just showing up because that's what they need to be, need to be there for. Honestly, it has varied at different school districts. Some school districts are, it's like all school assemblies, you know, where every student shows up, but there are a couple school districts I've worked with that have specific groups of students that work on creating safer spaces within their school with mental health, like they're mental health focused groups, like they've implemented in their schools. So they have certain students that they put this out to and they sign up to attend. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when school districts or conferences book me to speak, they know what they're getting. You know, I have my signature talk. I have my signature breakouts. There's not a whole lot of um, changes with the core message. So they know what they're getting when when it comes to becoming an overcomer, which is what I title it. Becoming an overcomer? Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Break that down for me a little bit. What do you mean by that? Provide them a four-step process on, like I said, the offensive tactics to overcome their everyday anxiety that they're struggling with or depression. Um, so I call it become an overcomer to help build that kind of mental toughness that comes along with self-talk, right? Overcomer is a strong, a strong word, but it's enough to where they feel like they're making a difference in their own personal self and their personal lives. Mm -hmm. Can you share those four steps? Yeah. So um, the first step is talk to someone, which mm -hmm. is interesting because a lot of times people will say, well, duh, you know, of course I need to talk to somebody. And I'm like, well, are you? And they're like, well, no, I can't talk to someone because I can't, you know, all these different excuses. 
And we go over different ways on how to go about that process. Well, it's and a tough then, subject. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt on each one if I have a question just because I'll forget it. It's a tough subject to broach with people. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. really want to go to your family, at least in my case. Maybe I'm unique, sure. but I don't want to call my mom and be like, man, this is what I'm going through today. Because you don't want to be like Debbie Downer, right? And then you don't want to go to your friends and be like, be the Debbie Downer among your friends because you're there to hang out. It's like, I look at my different nucleuses that I hang out with. I have a men's soccer team. I'm certainly not going to talk about it there. I have a group of really core intimate friends. But when we hang out, it's just sort of like shooting the shit. But you don't want to be like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm really – so it's it's it, it might seem obvious to some people, but it's really not because I right. know that I personally don't really share my anxiety and the things that I struggle with with very many people. Right. And that's why it's step one because mm -hmm. that's what – anxiety and depression do is it's that self-talk that really isolates us. That's mm -hmm. where it thrives, right? In isolation. So going over different steps on how to go about that process, different people, different ways to bring it up, like especially in the breakout sessions, like really breaking that down. What does that mean? What are the purpose of this? What could come of this? What happens when we don't, you know, really having those kind of tough conversations. And then um, step two is acknowledging what we can and cannot control you know, that self-awareness piece, because a lot of times we, we get anxiety from the things that we can't control. Right. And when we acknowledge the things that we can, we tend to see that we're in more control than we realize, thus helping alleviate a lot of the anxiety and stress. But again, in the breakout sessions, we're able to really break that down. Like, how do we start to acknowledge that? You know, it's a muscle that you have to work on every single day. And even in the moments when you're having a lot of anxiety and you're still stressing to change the things that you can't control, there are tools I give them in different ways to actually visually, you know, and tangibly start to break it down so they can see, okay, I am in more control than I realize. Um, and then step three. I, I like, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupt sorry. you. I like that what you just said, it's a muscle that you have to exercise, sort of like the book you were just talking about, Atomic Habits, developing that habit. Yeah, which is which is step three. Mm -hmm. Establish a routine and habits. Mm -hmm. I mean that even when we break it down in the breakout sessions, at least we go through, I talk about adding or removing one behavior, you know, for the next 30 days. You know, because a lot of times when people go out to like lose weight or something, they change all these things at one time, right? They go out, they purge their kitchen, they change their diet, they start exercising five days a week, they start doing this, and it's like they get burned out super fast. When they don't see results and they end up quitting, mm -hmm. we really, I, especially with younger, younger, young adults, essentially high school, college students, really getting them to start to focus on building their own routines and habits. So we focus on one, like what could you remove or add, remove something that isn't serving you, right? Or add something that will serve you for 30 days and reassess at the end of that 30 days. How do you feel? Is it working? Is it not working? I mean, this could be anything. Is it either or, or can it be both? It can be both, but I don't like to overwhelm them with all of these changes up front, right? So I'm going to argue that this isn't just applicable to teenagers because as oh, adults, like, I, can, I can benefit from that logic just as easily as your teenagers could. And, and I, to right. be, be frank with you, I would, I would venture to say that adults, it's a different type of anxiety, and tell me if I'm wrong, but adults suffer from anxiety just as much as a teenager might. It's just a different type of anxiety, and we might have more coping mechanisms because we're more mature enough. But right. Right? It, it affects both teenagers, and it affects everybody. Right. So think about an adult that needs this message. Think about getting this message when you're 15 or 16 yeah. and how that will look when you're in your 30s, when you start to do that work now. You that's know, your that's, offensive right there. Yes, that's mm -hmm. the offensive. And then 
um, step four is be consistent and really mm. going over and understanding the consistency. And I always like to give the example of when you're trying to put on muscle, you go to the gym one time, you don't walk out jacked, right? You just don't, you know, over time, like a muscle, it takes time, nurturing, trying new things, mixing it up, you know, being consistent with that and understanding how the compound effect works, you know, one brick at a time builds a house. You That's a good book also, house. by the way. What? That's a good book. That's a good book as well. Compound effect. Oh yeah. It's over here. Darren Hardy. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Darren so Hardy. I, this is an offshoot question. So, um, I noticed at my gym, there are fitness instructors and some of them are not fit at all. And I often wonder, and this is a, not necessarily a positive thought. I often wonder how does somebody who is a fitness instructor and fitness instructor not become fit themselves? Are they not doing what they're telling their clients to do? And I'm translating that over to you because you, you deal with anxiety yourself. And, and according to your what I follow you on Instagram, you still have anxiety on a regular basis. And so part of your secret sauce, if you will, is the fact that you live, eat, and breathe what you preach and what you do. And you're sharing that with your students. Yeah. So you're, you're engaging with them in a capacity of a fitness coach, to borrow your sports analogy, yes. to do as I do and do as I say, sort of, right? And that's kind yes. of a fair statement. The, the, the difference is, is I wish I had these steps when I was their age. Mm -hmm. I think things would have looked differently if, if I would have, and not that, not that I haven't had my own share of overcoming obstacles. Cause I'm in a much better place because of these tools and tactics, but I do these things every single day for the last 10 plus years. And I've seen a lot of improvement and progress. And when I struggled in high school, it's like, ugh. If I only knew this, then, you know, this is the problem I'm trying to solve is to start this process as early as possible for these students. So they can, you know, like we said, be on the offensive side rather than so defensive. I have a counter thought to that though. Would you be, would, would you be more beneficial or more effective? Had you known that as a teenager, or would you be exactly where you are because of the journey you've endured and able to apply that in, in a better introspective, more impactful way because of the lessons you didn't learn. And now you're sharing that in the context of, of how you are. I don't know. That's a little bit esoteric, but of course, hindsight is 2020. So, yeah. So, you know, would you even be doing what you're doing today? Had you gotten those lessons as a teenager? Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Crazy. Ah, crazy. <laughs> so um, let's get, let's get to know you a little bit more as a business leader and a CEO of your own company. So you're available. People want to follow you on Instagram. You're the Brittany Richmond correct? And, that, yes. and that's sort of your sandbox, right? The Brittany yes. Richmond. Uh, I went to your website. You have a link in your profile so you can find out a little bit about who you are. That's how they can book you, correct? From mm -hmm. the Instagram. Yeah. But do you actually have a website where people can go and play? Yeah. Yeah. BrittanyRichmond.com. Okay, yep. cool. I didn't see that on your Instagram. So sorry if I missed it. I was actually trying to do some recon on you last night. <laughs> some recon. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Oh, All right. Funny. So tell me a little bit about your career trajectory and where you are today in, in 60 seconds. How did you start where you are and where you are today? And where do you think you're going to be going with this? What's interesting is a lot of where I am today is, is in credit to the anxiety. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. why. It's because I have never worked typical positions in my mm -hmm. life because of the anxiety. I've always thrived in positions where the more I work, the harder I work, the more money I make. I like being in control of my money. I like being in control of 
my schedule. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of like that establishing routines and habits, right? Acknowledging mm -hmm. what you can and cannot control and functioning in nine to five positions is not conducive to me. It's just not, I don't thrive that way. I like to work smarter, not harder. I like to work really intensely in pocket of times, you know, to create massive results. I have an entrepreneur's mindset. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I like to be in control of what, what is happening. Not that I don't delegate. That's not what I'm saying either, but it's like, really, if I want to build something, if I want to make so much money, if I want so many bookings, if I want this, if I want this, I'm going to go get it. If I'm going to work harder, I want to make more money than this person, not the same amount in the same position. You know, all of these different little pieces that are just more conducive to my personality. So the trajectory is to continue to speak and to coach and to help as many people as I can, you know, and I'm in control of that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I have a very similar mindset. I worked in the corporate world for many years before I jumped off onto the entrepreneurial diving board and just, it was sink or swim for me. So yeah. I appreciate that perspective on, I don't think it's for everybody. No, no, not for I don't. I, I think some people are, are cogs in the wheel, if you will. And I'm not saying that That's in a, necessary, in a yeah, right? I'm not saying that in a negative capacity. No. I just think some people are cut out for doing what you do and some people are not. And that's, that's human nature, right? Yeah. Do you have any mentors of your own? Mentors from afar. And, uh -huh. and of, of course I have some speaking mentors that I work with at, um, the, uh, company, the speaker lab, but speaker, mm -hmm. like when I say mentors from afar, I mean like Brendan Bouchard, Ed Milet, mm -hmm you know, a lot of people in the space of personal growth and development, because I'm huge into mindset training and mm -hmm. obviously, you know, with, with the mental health aspect. So a lot of mentors from afar. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've received from those mentors that you're now applying in your life right now? Gosh. Um, well, Tim, Grover, I've heard you drop a, I've, I've heard you drop a few early in the conversation sort of my, around mindset and habits and whatnot, but if you had to, if you had to deliver in a keynote, the three biggest lessons that you've learned from Brandon Bouchard or um, Darren Hardy, or I don't, I forget who the author of Atomic Habits is, but how would you deliver that? These are the three things that if you had to take three lessons from me that I have learned and I would like to share with you, what would those be? Gosh, I mean, Darren Hardy by far, that's the very first personal development book I ever read in my life. I've read it so many times. The compound effect is mm -hmm. applicable in any aspect of your life. Like, Literally. So if, if you've read no other book ever, that is the book to read, in my opinion. Um, you know, High Performance Habits by Brendan Bouchard is really, it, it's basic. It's so simple, right? Establishing habits and routines and delegating and leaning into your strengths, you know, all of these different, I mean, it it's all basic principles. You just hear them a different way from different people mm -hmm. applicable in different aspects of your life. Like, Another name I'll drop for you is Tim Grover. He's a high performance coach. He's worked with Kobe Bryant, you know, Michael Jordan, all of these people. And his big thing is mental toughness, you know, and I, I appreciate that so much on, you know, his book Relentless is one of the best books I've ever read also. And really that whole mindset of where do you put yourself? Like, are you somebody who can work a nine to five? Are you somebody who leads from the front? Are you somebody who's an entrepreneur? You know, really understanding yourself as a human being, because that's where you lean into your strengths, right? Like, how are you going to make a difference and an impact with the gifts that you've been given? 
Leading from the front is an interesting conversation because leadership comes in a lot of different sizes, shapes, and colors. And you don't always have to be a leader in the front of the pack to be a good leader. What what do you think a good leader's characteristics embody? Um, Being in the trenches with someone. Uh Absolutely. is definitely fighting alongside your team or your organization or, you know, really. And when I say lead from the front, it's to me, it's I'm going to try it first and let you know how it works out. And then if it works out, I'll teach you, you know, kind of inventing the wheel, but not reinventing the wheel. So a lot of what I do as a speaker is leading from the front. You know, I've lived this. I these tactics work. I'm going to help you solve this problem. And essentially that essentially leading like that, but being in the trenches also, mm-hmm. you know, me too. Like I am also going through this. We're going to get through this together, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I love that. I love um, leading by example, you know, all of those things. I, I was asked this question the other day as well on a podcast, you know, what makes a great leader? And, and it's a, it's a really introspective question because a lot of times when people think of leaders, they think of the raw, raw and the loud right. and they're up front and they're, you know, blood on their face and dirt on their hands and they're like gritting it out. But right. th- there are lots of different types of leaders. I, I look at my daughter, for example, I have a 16 year old daughter and, and by the way, um, her school would be a great candidate for you because um, well, we can go off on another topic, but um, she's really demure and sort of highly sensitive and she's really shy and whatnot. But I was thinking about her the other day and how she's led within her circle of friends and some of the things that she does. Um, she, she's never succumbed to any of the peer pressure things. Nice. And she serves as a role model for her friends. And she she was like, because she struggles with anxiety and she listens to this podcast. So she knows that I'm going to talk about her because I often do. But she suffers from anxiety on a regular basis. And I was, I was having this conversation with her. We went hiking and I was talking to her about this. And I'm like, I don't think you realize how powerful you actually are and what sort of an example as a leader you actually are for all of your friends. She plays soccer. She starts, started as a freshman. She's now um, plays for a club team. She's been starting on that team since she, and she leads by example. She's not one of those girls that scores goals, but she's like in the trenches and she will literally like, fisticuffs with players fighting and battling until the end and the the examples that she leaves for her friends um she doesn't she doesn't drink she's not involved in the partying scene and i was like i don't think you realize what a good role model and that's a form of leadership is being a good role model and being honest and being honorable and being responsible and that's another form of leadership and especially especially as it pertains to teenagers right would you agree with that yeah oh yes yes absolutely and what what i love about that is the people around her may not recognize that as leadership yet, you know, yeah. like, and, and which, you know, cause they're teenagers <laughs> and, um, you know, but I, I really admire that because that's going to serve her well and it will serve her friends well. Like she is leading when she doesn't even realize it. And I, and I love that. Yeah. And I don't know that her friends can, would put a label on that, but they, enjoy her company for a reason, even if it's just sort right. of a subconscious, I enjoy being around her because right. she's inspirational or I enjoy being around her because she's kind or whatnot. So I'm trying, I was trying, I wasn't saying this to brag about my kid. I was just sharing that because I had this conversation with her and I thought I'd ask you about it because I think a lot of people don't really realize that leadership comes in a bunch of different styles. And just because you're quiet or shy doesn't mean that you still can't lead by example in your own little way. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. What would you say if if you were to walk into a room and then you did your presentation and then you left or you were networking with people, what would you want people to say about you when you left the room? 
Oh gosh. Uh, about me personally, mm -hmm. I don't, <laughs> this is going to sound strange, but I don't know <laughs> because I, I, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the students. So maybe something along the lines, like the students really resonated with her message or her message really hit with the students, something like that, but nothing like, Oh, she was a great speaker. You know, like, I, I don't know if that's the message I really, you know well, what I'm change, saying? Let's change the subject around a little bit then. What, because this is get to know Brittany. Sure. What would you want your closest friends and closest confidants, your husband at your funeral to say about Brittany? Who was she? Well, God, this is, I'm really bad at talking about myself for the record, <laughs> but um, I like to think that I've always had everybody's back, you know, and that I was very loyal, you know, and you talked about fisticuffs. Like I will fight passionately with people that I love and care about all day. And honestly, that's including the kids. I mean, I, I will fight for them and with them and, until the end, you know, I'm, I'm a competitor at heart and that's with anything that I do. I'm very protective. Um, yeah, I guess that. Carrying on with that same subject, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh, God. Honestly, again, awkward talking about yourself, but how, how self-aware I am. Mm. I mean, that's one of the things I admire about myself is how much work I have done on myself and, it's not in a boastful or bragging way, but I have done the work and I will continue to do the work. And I am very self-aware to the point where I am not afraid to tell anybody around me how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what I need, all the things where it's like, look, I, I know myself well enough to know this is not, I can't do this or I don't want to do this. You know, like I have no issues advocating for myself. What exactly does self-awareness look like? I think that's different for everybody, mm -hmm. but it's understanding what you're feeling, why you're feeling it, you know, and because then once we understand what it is and why we're feeling it, we can better develop tactics to deal with it, combat it, amplify it. You know, these are good and not so good emotions, you know, really understanding and being aware of your likes, your dislikes, personal boundaries you know, saying no, you know, I mean, we could go on as to what self-awareness looks like. Um, but it's work. It's, a, it's another muscle, right? Do, do you think that there are some fundamental aspects of self-awareness that every person should try to work on? Yeah. I mean, again, understanding your own core values and morals, you know, mm -hmm. understanding where you draw lines, if you're not drawing them, why are you not drawing them? Should you draw them? I mean, really self-awareness comes from having those intense confrontational conversations with yourself. I right? like that. Conf confronting yourself, confronting yeah. your demons. I like that. Yeah. Otherwise, because if you don't do that, then how are you going to do it? How are you going to, I mean, this is how we lead to people being walked all over, you know, lowering their standards saying yes when they should say no. I mean, all of these things. And it just, it wreaks havocs on our psyche, on our mental, emotional health. You know, it can hurt us when we feel like we're act. you know, when we don't want to say no to people, you know, all these different things. I would like to include in that list, if I may, the sure. ability to receive criticism from people. 
and oh, take yes. and and take that with a self awareness, if you will, that you don't have all the answers. Yes. And, and would you agree with that? Yes. I mean, I mean, I've always believed that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. you should. I mean, really, if you if you walk out there like you know everything, then you have lost. You have failed yeah. yourself and, and other people. If you're not actively wanting to grow or learn more or listen and help, I mean, then you have no room for growth. If you, there's no growth. Exactly. Well, you have no room for it if you think you have all the answers, right? Right. But so that being confident. said, so that being said, sorry, what did you say? There was a, a brief drag. Be confident in what you're doing, you mm. know, and, and, and knowledgeable to know that you are the expert. However, there's always room to grow, right? Like mm. you want to also learn more. There's always room to grow. There's always an alternative way to do something. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be better, but it might have a different a different route of achievement for you and more optimization for you. So right. that being said, has there ever been a moment in your life when somebody gave you feedback, critical or not, that you were initially like offended by it, if you will, but then in retrospect, you realize, shit, man, they were actually right about that and I need to make that change and implement that right away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think everybody would answer yes. Right. Like I think everybody would answer yes to some degree. I mean, I think about my life for 36 years at some point in my life, I have definitely been defensive or, you know, irritated by feedback from somebody. But I also think a lot of that was a me problem, not a them problem, mm -hmm. you know, and how I, I also believe though, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So certain communication styles just are better with different personalities. So it could have just been the way it was delivered to me that was offensive. You know, what, what is your communication style? I like face-to-face -face interaction. You know, that works better for me. I like to read emotions while people are talking to me. I don't deal well with like, people are like, oh, let's talk about this later. It's like, no, we're going to talk about it now. You know, like so you're, you are the confrontational sort of am, leadership style. Like, let's get this shit out right now and work it out. Absolutely. I am too. I have to, my anxiety, first of all, can't handle it. It just can't. Plus I don't like leaving things unresolved. While yes, there are, people should have time to think and figure it out, especially if it's an intensive situation. But if there's an opportunity to have a conversation to just let's figure it out, then that's what I'd rather do. So not everybody is like that. What's the no. middle gray? So you talked about self-awareness. You talked about yeah. introspection. You talked about being able to receive criticism. If you have somebody who's near and dear to you and close to you, or even if it's not, just let's just say it's somebody that you're counseling and their communication style is not confrontational. They're more of let me marinate on this and get mm -hmm. back to you. How do you as a moderator or how do you as a participant or how do you as a friend or how do you as a partner or a wife, how do you meet that person? I, I just ask for a high level view. That's what I say. I'm like, right then I, and there. Yes. I'm like, I just need a high level view of what you're feeling. You don't have to give me details. You don't have to give me anything at all. Just give me a sentence because as, as far as me, because I try to make it as, you know, relational as possible and relationships are two way roads. I will respect your distance, but you also need to respect the fact that I need something. Otherwise this is going to I'm going to obsess over this and it's very unhealthy for me. So what's healthy for you and what's healthy for me, we have to be, you know, compromising in that. So when I say, if people say to me, I'm really upset, even if it's not about me, if it's, it could be about something random, they're like, I'm really upset. I just, we'll talk in a couple of days. I'm like, well, can you just at least tell me what you're upset about? 
you know what I mean? Like, give me a high level view of what you're feeling and then we'll be done. Just hmm. so I know in my mind, I'm not creating situations that don't exist hmm. or go down pathways that are not there. That's interesting feedback because I have experience with that space as well. Uh, and, and I've never really known how to deal with it because all my life I've just been taught to deal with it right then and there. Don't let it fester. Don't let it marinate because by doing that, it sort of develops its own little legs. Yep. Not only in, not only situationally, but in my mind, like you just right. said, you start projecting. So is that a fault of our own that we're enabling how we respond to that that response to grow its own legs. Do we have some work around how we deal with that trauma or how we deal with that conflict that we should be focusing on? Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, there are little baby situations that I deal with often that, that create situations like that. Nothing, nothingness, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally nothingness. And I'm just like, I'm obsessing, mm -hmm. you know, I really need some sort of direction. So my mind doesn't keep running with this. And, and, and those are sort of the foot soldiers for anxiety, aren't they? I mean, that's where yeah, it all begins. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it's like you don't, you, I'm self-aware enough to know that I need something, mm -hmm. but also understand that some people are not that way. Mm -hmm. So it's like having that, but again, advocating for myself and saying, look, I'm going to give you space. I really am. I just need this for me. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make this torturous for me. Mm -hmm. And then we'll come together another time. Hmm. I like that approach. I had not thought about that. That's interesting. I'm going to practice that. The high level view. It's all I ask for. I'm like, just give me the 10,000 foot view really quick. So I can give me some crumbs. Just give me yes. some crumbs. Yes. Give me a little bit. <laughs> what is something that you used to think about yourself as a youngster? You're 36 years old. So let's put you in, in the place of some of the kids that you're or young adults that you're now counseling at 16. Can you transport you back to 16 year old Brittany? Oh yeah. What was one of the things that you thought about yourself that, or your teachers said about you, or maybe your parents said to you that didn't turn out to be true and that you now recognize that today? That wasn't true. Well, I, perception is reality, right? So really, I, I mean, I faked a lot of who I was and hmm. looking back, I know that to be true because I was so busy trying to fit in. I was so busy trying to do certain things because other people were doing certain things, you know, and just really kind of conforming, which is interesting because knowing myself at the core, that is not who I am, you know, and, but I can lean into that now because of the self-awareness, obviously, and not particularly care if I fit in with certain things or not. But, um, I think that, you know, the teachers and everybody even to this day, have no idea that I struggled with certain things. You know, I was a, a model student. I was an athlete. I was friends with everybody. I, I was, you know, I was, I was just a good student and a good kid, but I'm not saying that I was secretly bad. I'm just saying that I don't really know who I was. I was just doing the things that I felt everybody else was doing, you know, wearing certain clothes, saying certain things, hanging out with certain people, you know, I just looked to other people and modeled their behavior, which is strange looking back. It's a funny paradigm, isn't it? You yeah. know, everybody, there's all these inspirational lectures and, and 
quotes about being an individual and becoming the best version of yourself. But society doesn't reward that. Society rewards conformity. Yeah. Because if you do become distinct, if you do individualize yourself, you're sort of outcast and you're, you're called a pariah. Um, and, and especially when you're teenagers. So that's it's an interesting paradigm to think about. We teach you to be great, but don't be too great because we want you to look like everybody else. Don't right. go against the grain too much. So how does how do how do people how do people deal with that? What's the best way to deal with that, especially as a teenager? I think that's where a lot of the issues come from mm -hmm. for teenagers. What's interesting is like this Gen Z, this generation right now, has done, you know, a lot of them will say amazing things because they have literally projected into the world that you can be who you are, right? And like live that out loud. But I see the opposite. I see a generation that's trying so hard to be like everybody else. Mm. You're trying too hard, you know, to be this person. Like, who are you? Like, we're seeing just the opposite. I mean, it's, it's just, it's the same for a teenager. We want to fit in. We want to do well. We want to avoid confrontation. We want to avoid failure. And they, human beings do whatever it takes to avoid that. I don't know at what point in our lives we, we started to, it, I don't know if it's a, it comes from the household. I don't know if it comes from society, but when did we start, you know, really just downplaying certain aspects of failure, you know, and not seeing it as growth and not seeing it as trying as effort. Now, you know, we fear failure so much. We don't even try. I mean, there's, but that comes with being who we are at our core too. Just like we said earlier, some people are built to be entrepreneurs and some aren't. Are there more? Are there less? I don't know. It, there's so many different, it's just, it's just, there's just too many narratives around us, like pushing. How do we find out who we are? Is really the question. Like, how do we dive into the core of who we are? That's well, I, I have some theories on that. If you care to hear them. Sure. I think that at the core of, of that, that, normalizing that is competition. And I'm an, I'm a, I'm an athlete. I played college football. I, pl I still play soccer on a very high level today. I work out, you know, I do lots of things. I'm very competitive, but what I've noticed and observed over the years is that competition inherently does not promote individualization because if you're not part of the team or if you're not competing, we're taught that you have to be better than everyone else. We have sure. to get better grades. We have to be better on the sports teams. We have to get better scholarships. We have to get the promotion when we graduate. We have to have prettier dogs. We have to have prettier outfits, prettier faces, prettier everything. And then fucking social media comes along and it's like a day after day competition hack. Yeah. And every single moment of the day, we're pulling up this phone like, fuck, Brittany just put out that really cool keynote. I'm not a keynote speaker yet. Like, I got to do something around that. Sure. And, and, and I actually posted on this last night. It's like, I've been on doing Instagram now roughly for about three years, pretty diligently. And I use it quite successfully for my business. And that's the only reason I stay on social media. It's sort of my cathartic journal, if you will. And I like to share my clients and those sorts of things, sure. but I've observed the trends over the year with social media and how everybody basically jumps on that bandwagon. And right now the trend is everybody is doing the exact same thing on social media. They're miming or lip syncing to a song. And I'm like, are there any real original thoughts out there where people aren't doing the exact same thing all across their social media anymore? And it's like they can't because everyone's trying to compete against each other. And by competing against each other, we're denigrating the individualized portion of who we are as humans. 
that we're not supposed to compete with each other. We're supposed to collaborate with each other. We're supposed to connect with each other. We're supposed to build things together. And then I know you don't want me to go here, but the landscape of the political landscape of the world right now is like divide everybody into these silos of labels. Let's let's put them all in these little silos and then make everybody compete against each other and hate each other because you're not part of my team. And I think that's the core of what the problem is, if you ask me. And But what do I know? Well, I, I, I wouldn't disagree. That's why I said, I think it's, it's a generation. Like I said, everybody's trying, everyone's like, I'm so individualized. I'm so individualistic, but all we're doing is, is being like everybody else. We're doing all the trends. We're doing all the mm -hmm. things. And it's like, but, but it's always been the same. It's just amplified with social media. I yeah. truly believe that. I think that it, it really just, and I think that's why we have so many potentially stagnant is that the word unhappy people i don't want to say unhappy because different things make people happy but complacent because we don't really we never really dove into the self-awareness or or what mm -hmm. we wanted or what we needed or the job we really wanted to do or the things that bring us joy or you know what we want in a life partner or you know all these different these different aspects that we could dissect for for anybody if if I gave you the magic wand of humanity and you could you could control what people do or don't do or you could at least give them thought seed of what they should be focusing on, what are three fundamental things that you would teach us as humans? Gosh, first probably is lean into the things that bring you joy. Mm, I love I, that. I really don't think we do that enough. I mean, that's and that could be we could argue that that's part of building routines and habits, right? Like we and we could dissect that even more. Like we don't do certain things because we feel judged or certain people don't get it or we don't have friends that like what we like. So we do what they want to do. I mean, lean into the things that bring us joy because those are usually the first things we give up to when things get hard. You know, we let go of things that bring us joy. And it's like, why? You know, it's like, what are we doing? So honestly, if I had one thing to tell them, humanity, it's, Lean into the things that bring you joy. Before you go into number two or three, if you have more, which I'm sure you do, I had a conversation with a dude the other day, and he has been doing the exact same thing for almost 52 years. He works for a factory. He shows up in the factory. He creates a little mold. He stamps it. He checks it. He does it. And he moves it down the next one. And I was like, how the hell do you even get into a job like that? And he's like, well, man, I just, I needed a job. I needed to make money so I could pay for my motorcycle. And then, you know, then I got married and I was like, I just needed to have the money. And I was like, do you enjoy what you do? It's like, no, I fucking hate it. And I was like, dude, you've been doing that for 52 years. I know. Do you have any other skills? He's like, I've never taken the time to do anything else. I'm and I'm like, so when you die, in another 25 years, roughly, given the lifespan of average male in America, and you've been doing that for another 65 years of your life, are you going to look back and have regrets? And I asked him this, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be actually ashamed. And I was like, well, is there anything you can do right now to change that? I was like, is there anything you like? Like, do you have any little hobbies that you love? And he's like, well, I like building airplanes. I'm like, well, is there something you can do in that place? Like, He's like, well, I like doing, I like building go-karts and things like that. And I was like, well, is there some business that you could create for that? He's like, no, man, that would just be way too much work. And my wife wouldn't support it. And I was just like, ah, yeah. so how many people have that same narrative? Probably more than we, when we realize, I mean, I mean, if I, 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 I don't, I, when I tell, I mean, we have these conversations with people all the time and I often say, even to young people, I'm like, lean into the things that that bring you joy. 
you know, and, and sometimes they don't even know what that is, you know, and like, do you enjoy reading? I mean, it could be as simple as that. Well, if they loved it, are you doing it? No. Okay. You know, and that's, is there, is there an exercise that you could teach people to find that values list? Like, is, well, there, is, there, is there something you've learned over the years to say, how do I find what I can lean into that gives me joy? Because I like to do a lot of things. Like, I'm just speaking to me personally. Sure. And I feel like I'm doing what I enjoy most. But I also enjoy doing a bevy of other things. So how do I organize all of that, prioritize all of that, and get that into a space where I can actually make some money doing something I love, provide a service to other people, solve a problem for somebody, and have longevity doing it? I mean, there, we could say a couple of different ways. You could do anything from personality tests if you want to get that technical, understanding where your strengths are, you know, and or aptitude tests, right? Are you more creative? Or are you more numbers? I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could break things down. And I know that they try to attempt to do that in schools, you know, with different <laughs> aptitude tests. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started on school. I know, in public I'm sorry, education. I'm sorry. <laughs> in your mouth. They, they, try to, they try to do that. Um, but it, yeah, but they might try to take a test, but then they don't do anything about once they've have results, they just create a benchmark so they can label somebody, but then they don't do anything to foster and, and nurture that. So if you took an aptitude test and you're partial to carpentry, you shouldn't be thrown in a mathematics class like or a physics class like everybody else. You should be put into a carpentry uh, system where you can learn to develop and nurture those skills of creativity. Why does everybody have to be taught the exact same way? And I think, I think that's why one reason why we don't have that self-awareness of things that we do enjoy and things that we could potentially grow into incomes. I mean, I tell people I've got, you know, some young girls that I know, teenagers that are really leaning into the things that bring them joy. I've got one who, you know, she's a, a senior in high school and she has her own Etsy business. You know, she loves creating. She, she's very actually pretty successful for the space that she's in. And I'm like, lean into this, like lean into this, you know, and, and this is going to serve you well. And I'm not saying her that won't adapt or grow as she grows, but I'm like, think of all the people her age that could be fostering that kind of creativity or joy. And I'm not saying everyone's built to be an entrepreneur. You know, we're not, we're definitely not saying that, but leaning into your strengths, you know, what brings you joy? And, and especially in the breakout session of, of establishing your routine habits, adding one thing in your routine that serves you or taking something away that doesn't, I mean, it could be as simple as what serves you. Is it, you know, I've got one particular, High school student I know that loves doing cosmetology, like makeup brings her joy. She creates videos on YouTube and all this stuff. And I'm like, people make millions of dollars doing that now. You know, I'm not saying that that's what you're meant to do, but the fact that I see young people discovering things that bring them joy, you know, makes me happy because I think that we miss that piece and really just creating that that understanding of who you are, that self-awareness, I think it all comes down to self-awareness. Mm -hmm. And what is Brittany doing to stay inspired, to stay in joy, in a, in a situation of joy and alignment with that? Like, what do you do? Out, what do you do outside of your, your career to stay inspired, to stay learned, to stay educated, to stay front and center and happy? What are the things that you do outside of everything? I, 
to be honest, a lot of it's stuff that I do by myself, right? Like I really like grounding myself, like a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of self-competitive things, staying into my fitness routine. I very much lean into my athlete mindset. I mean, just like you, I mean, I feel like once you have that, it's, it's like, that brings me joy is, is mm. self-competition. And, yeah. you know, when people ask me, you know, who my biggest, you know, competitor is or what I'm doing, I, I always say myself, like literally, I don't compare myself to other speakers, other, you know, people on social media. I mean, we all do to some degree, even subconsciously, I believe that, but I don't actively sit out and be like, I want to be that person. I want to do this. I want to do what they're doing. It's, it's how can I level myself up and, reading and, and just consistently leaning into the things that bring me joy, like my family, you know, disconnecting, disconnecting is huge. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that is so necessary for so many people. But for me, it literally brings me joy to disconnect. And that could be social media. That could be from people that could be from TV. I mean, it could be from so many things, but just disconnecting and understanding and having conversations, like we said, confrontational conversations with myself, often, you know, self checkups really are so important to bringing me joy. I want to go to back to a conversation we had a few minutes ago centered around competition because I didn't get your feedback on that. I just sort of went on to a rant and a diatribe. Sorry. <laughs> and I want to clarify, I think that competition has a place in, in humans. Sure. I, think it's, I think it's imperative that we all develop sort of an inherent drive to become right. a better version of ourselves each and every day. But I don't necessarily think that competition at the hands of of someone else losing sure. is is inherently good. Right. When it comes to like global powers, for example, sure. why is my country better than your country just because I have more weapons than you? Why should your way be less than my way just because I'm telling you to do it? So I just wanted to right. clarify that. I think there's a time and a place for competition. Do you have a position on 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 that as it pertains to you know what you do as a leader, what you do as what your students and how they live their lives, how Brittany herself lives her life? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think that we cheer for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, you can still be competitive, but mm -hmm. we still celebrate the wins of other people. I mean, I, I think when we allow that, that, that self-destructive negative, like, ugh, like why them and not me, mm -hmm. you know, like kind of mindset that can really set us back. But if we're cheering other people on and, and wanting them to do well, it actually helps level us up our mental game, our mental and emotional game. And I think that we're a lot, we'll see more progress that way because I, I want other people to win, especially in the space, because there are um, maybe maybe 15 paid women speakers in the youth market today. Like that's not huge in the youth market. And it's almost like we're all very aware of each other. And but I'm rooting for them. But every time I speak to a woman, because you know I'm, you know, I coach and consult the speaker lab and that wants to speak in the youth market, I tell them that. I'm like, girl, come on, get in this space, you know? And it's not a a woman male thing. It just happens to be a male dominated industry. So I'm cheering the men on also, right? Cause we're all here to help people, but I'm wanting to bring these women on board too. These are not my competition. We're in this together, you know, to, to level each other up and to help more young people. And I think if we start to view it that way, like I want them to win. I want 
that, that's that. a that's a difficult juxtaposition, and I suffer from it myself. Like you see your peers, even people that I'm friends with, sure. and, and I'm just making a, a transparent admission here. There are times when I see someone who who has done something that I have not yet done, and I'm like sure. Jesus, and and I notice pangs of almost jealousy centered around sure. it. So. And, it's, and it shouldn't be that way. I should be grateful that I was able to be in contact with you, first of all. If you just did something brilliant, Brittany, I should celebrate that for you. But often we don't. We sort of have comparisonitis around it. And um, I deserve that more than Brittany does because I'm, I'm this or I'm that. Do you have any sort of – do you have any advice on how people can overcome that? I don't want to call it jealousy, but that sort of like resentment right. around someone else's success because you don't have it. like, hey, just get off your ass and go do it would be my first feedback. But do you have any feedback on that? I, there's a couple of different ways. First of all, I think it's it's normal in some way. Yeah, we've all felt it at some point, right? I just really yeah. think that even there are still the people out there. I mean, there are still moments even subconsciously, but you got to check yourself, right? And I'm I'm going to point this out in the most loving way. If I feel jealous or that feeling that you're describing, then I have to ask myself, why am I feeling that way? That is a me problem, not a them problem. Absolutely. And that's the self-awareness piece also. If I'm upset because I'm not at that level, that is a me problem, not a them problem. And Absolutely. it's unfair to project that onto them and not cheer for them. That's brilliant. I heard something yesterday. I was listening to a podcast, and you would love this guy. His name is Joseph Rodriguez. Have you heard of him before? No, but I'm writing it down. As Joseph Rodriguez, um, he's on YouTube. He's big. I'll send you his lecture from yesterday. Uh, he does these hour-long lectures. He breaks down. He breaks down ideologies or concepts. A lot of times, he's using older philosophers, you know, like Aristotle or mm -hmm. um, uh, Neville Goddard and pe people like that. But he also uses modern people, and he takes these themes. And one of the things themes that he was doing yesterday was um, centered around subconscious development and how we base basically can create the life we want to live based upon, or we can denigrate our life based upon our subconscious beliefs about ourselves. It's a really powerful show. But he was talking about this whole idea of resentment and comparisonitis and, and how, how by our, by our feelings around something. So if I'm talking poorly about somebody, I'm actually projecting that statement about them onto myself mm -hmm. this is pretty this is crazy because everything that we observe is just a reflection of our inner engineering so if i'm speaking poorly of britney and i'm saying well that britney she doesn't deserve that she's not talented she shouldn't be up there i should be in front of those high school kids giving this lecture because i'm funny or i'm better looking or i'm taller or i'm a man she's a woman whatever it is we're taking those we're taking those beliefs that we have and they're based upon our own insecurities and our own fears and our own judgments and our own personal paradigms. And we're projecting that on, out onto you when, in fact, that's really just a reflection of us. And I was like, I was, I listened to um, these sort of podcasts when I'm in the gym. I don't know if you think that's funny or not, but most people are like, what do you listen to? I'm like, oh, I've got a lecture on Neville Goddard. And it's like, let's <laughs> <laughs> just, I just, I do my best Old thinking. Philosophers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do my best thinking in the gym or the shower. And right. I was like, I was in the middle of a rep and I heard that and I was like, pause, rewind, listen to that again. I'm like, shit, that is some really powerful shit. Mm -hmm. And it's true, right? It's really, it's really, it's matter of fact. And it's, so anyway, I just wanted to share that. It's simple too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's like, but, but people don't want to admit that, right? Like they, they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit that 
they don't want to admit <laughs> they just don't want to, you know, and nobody wants to take ownership of those feelings, you know, and I, it's hard. It, it takes strength and courage to do that though, to, again, we talked about that confrontational conversation with yourself, like looking yourself in the mirror and being like, look, man, like, what is your deal? Why are you feeling this way? What's going on? This is a you problem. So. Hmm. Well, man, I didn't realize we've already talked for an hour. This has been fun. Oh my God. I didn't even realize. <laughs> Before you leave me, um, there's, there's a couple of things I picked up on this show that I just wanted to recap. Uh, there's some things that you were really eloquent. Um, I love the add one, take one thing away concept and doing that for 30 days, developing that habit, developing that consistency around it. That can be applied. Um, hey, we have somebody writing some comments in here. Thank you, Jerry. Um, I, I love the fact that you can apply that whether you're a teenager or an adult at any point yeah. of your life. So that's brilliant. Um, I love this whole idea of confrontational conversations that centers around self-awareness and being able to look yourself in the mirror or take criticism from people. And I do this regularly, by the way. I ask for feedback on a regular basis. And I'm going to ask for feedback after this podcast with you. I want to know how could we have made this better? How could sure. I have made your conversation a little bit more succinct? Was there anything that I can do to make this show better? Um, and I ask for feedback like that on a regular basis. And it's not sure. because I'm insecure. I just want to know, like, how can I improve this little piece of my life? Right. And I, so I love that whole confrontational conversation piece that centers around your self-awareness. Um, this whole idea of taking ownership of that is a big deal. And, and people refrain from ownership a lot of time because they're scared of finding out the fact that they might not be as, as cool as they thought they were. They might not be right. right. And I see that every single day in, in, in like global conversations around politics or religion or whose president is better. Like who fucking cares, man? Like right. nothing is black and white. Like there's yeah. always middle gray for mm -hmm. every single issue. So for you to say that you only believe this is the only way to do something, I'm sorry, that's an erroneous fault, uh, erroneous um, uh, 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 position you have and, and being able to listen to other people's feedback. So um I think that's, there's a bunch of other stuff, but those are sort of my highlights I took from you. And I really appreciate you dropping that knowledge. Sure. Yeah. You know, always here for the mic drop moments. <laughs> I like that. What is the most significant change that you've brought to the planet so far on your 36 years on this planet? Uh, <laughs> I love these difficult questions. I love these like rapid fire questions that require me to think because I'm, I'm, uh, I think just acknowledging what my strengths are and, and leaning into the purpose of what I've gone through and projecting that out there in a, a self-development way for young people. I really just want to help them so much that it, I, I, for many years, I wondered how I could help and it just seems so clear now. So the ability to lean into what brings me joy, you know, and my strengths, I just, Really grateful for that kind of self-awareness and intuitivity. And the cascade effect that, that that has on other people who come across your channel or come across your personal space. Yeah. And I just think there's there's moments even when I, I, I again, just gut check myself. Like, am I being authentic? Is this, is this the message I really want to project into the world? Am I doing what I feel is helping somebody? Like every time, even if it comes down to just posting something on social media, is this going to have the impact that I hope it does? Like if I feel good about it, I'll post it. If I don't feel good mm -hmm. about it, I won't. I mean, if mm -hmm. it comes down to not being perfect, but just improving every day. Right. Mm -hmm. 
becoming a better version of ourselves each and every moment. I think that's the meaning of life. Yeah. Love this conversation. <laughs> Thank you for your time. If people want to find you on Instagram is the best place. Yes. The Brittany Richmond. Yep. And the and Rit, BrittanyRichmond.com is the website. Yep. If you'd like to book this young lady, um, you can do that straight from your website or from Instagram, right? If you'd like to get yep. her out there. I'm going to pass her information in this show. My daughter listens to these shows, so I'm going to pass this along to her school. Um, I think everyone could benefit from your wisdom and your energy. I love your energy. I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. And I think that brings us to the conclusion of our show. Any final thoughts, any closing thoughts you want to share with us? I'm just grateful to be here. So thank you. Cause I like to think that, you know, even if it just helps one person, like we did our job. So yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's the whole point of the podcast is to yeah. shine light on people like yourself who are doing brilliant things. If you love the show, I would really appreciate that you comment below. That's how we get better guests on here. I cannot do this without feedback. Um, like the show, follow us. If you want to find Brittany, follow her. She has a wonderful Instagram channel. She cries. She laughs. She works out. She talks about candid things. Um, you like I'm Devo. I'm your host. If you want to get some more information about me, you can find me on Instagram as well. That's my primary sandbox, Fusion Photog. And I have to do a shameless plug, and I would really appreciate it if you share this with your audience, if you will. I, will. Um, I am launching my first ever retreat in November. Nice. It's the 7th to the 11th. This first one is, is centered towards photographers in general. Um, and it's three days. I have two business coaches plus myself. And we are going to be doing a crash course, really intense um, branding, marketing, pricing, self-awareness workshop. We have yoga in the morning. I have a chef that's going to be on site. It's three days of just workshop after workshop on how to really accelerate your business, branding, marketing, et cetera, um, so that you can actually make money doing what you love most instead of just being a starving artist, And as I find that most photographers are. So that's the whole point of the workshop. So please share that with your people. That's amazing. Oh my God. I know. I'm excited about it. So exciting. I know. And, and, th and the first one is geared towards photographers, but then the next one is going to be more gener um, generic towards just entrepreneurs in general. So maybe you could be a keynote one of these days for something. Ooh, that'd be lovely. I know. <laughs> Let's talk. I love what you're doing. Thank you. And I'm glad that our paths have crossed. Me too. I'm so grateful. Seriously. Thank you. All right. Have a brilliant day. Thank you, everybody.